Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to our podcast. Now, it's the first episode in 2022, so we gotta say Happy New Year to everyone. Now, I heard a guy talk about um, there should be a statute of limitation to how long we're allowed to say Happy New Year. Because he feels like if you get to the first, the second week in January, you really shouldn't be saying Happy New Year anymore. But I disagree. I feel like 2022 started really hot and heavy. I mean, there's a lot of people still suffering COVID. And I feel like we need to kind of hit a reset button and go, Happy New Year, guys. You know, it's the middle of February. It's actually almost the end of February. But I want to just bless 2022. Okay. All right, now that we got the whole New Year greetings out of the way, let's go ahead and talk about today's subject. Today's subject, we're going to be talking about the fruits of the promised land. See, we often think about the promised land as a land flowing with milk and honey, but have you ever thought about the fruits of the land? Today, we are going to take a closer look at the fruits of the promised land. Not just any fruit, but the ones that are mentioned in in, um, Numbers chapter 13, verse 23, where we read how the spies went into the land and brought the fruit that was present on the land as a testimonial to the children of Israel. Now, um, this event was so pivotal that Israel ended up staying in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief during this event we read how the spies brought a giant cluster of grapes held between two people on a pole but then it goes on to say that they also brought pomegranates and figs see it's easy to remember the giant cluster of grapes because even the place was called Eshkol which is Hebrew for cluster of grapes however I find it really interesting to note how it goes on to say they also brought pomegranate and, and figs as if this was kind of like an after-the-fact type of situation, you know? Like, hey, mom and dad had grapes the firstborn, then they had pomegranates the second child, and then they had figs the last child. You know, I like to refer to the promised land with the allegory of um, if milk was dad and honey was mom, these fruits are the kids, Okay. Now, I want you to think about it for a second. How many times does the Bible actually talk about bearing fruits? Countless times. We have verses um, like Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, Therefore produce fruits consistent with repentance. We have John chapter 15, verse 8, where it says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples, right? And then we have the likes of John chapter 15, verse 16, where he says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Right? We also have uh, verses like Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, where he says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And we could also add in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, where he says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Right? 
I know that verse talks about unfruitfulness, but it's just, it ties into the idea of, you know, being fruitful. The verses go on and on. So let's look at each of these fruits on their own. All right. Fruit number one is going to be grapes, right? So they had giant grapes. So I see the, the grapes as big brother, you know, he's the main dude, right? I mean, even the valley of a skull is named after him. But what does the Bible say about this fruit, right? The first scripture that comes to my mind, I'm thinking of is John chapter 15, verse 5, where he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Now you might say, um, there are other vine fruits like the berries or tomatoes or the kiwi. Why do you think this verse is actually talking about grapes, Right. But you need to think about the context where Jesus is actually speaking about the vine. This um, verse that we're reading is one of a long discus where Christ is admonishing his disciples to bear fruit in keeping with showing that they are truly his disciples. The decision, the, uh, actually the discussion is happening around Passover. And Jesus is telling his disciples regarding the wine, which is the fruit of the vine, Obviously, it might actually have been in grape juice. I don't know, right? He's telling his disciples that this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And that he wouldn't drink it again till he drank it anew in his father's kingdom. Just think about that for a second, that Jesus is calling the grape the blood of the new covenant his blood he is that grape he is that big brother grape what a delight to know he's indeed the big brother the firstborn the true fruits of the vine wow glory all right so now let's go to um fruit number two which is the pomegranate um, this fruit is unique. It's the only fruit in the priest, uh, in the old Testament where the priest bore on their clothing, they carried it as a symbol on their clothing. If you read Exodus chapter 39 from 24 to 26, we're just going to read it real quick. Um, they made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen around the hem of the robe and they made bells of pure gold and attached them around the hem between the pomegranates. The bells and the pomegranates alternated around the hem of the robe to be worn for ministering as the Lord commanded Moses. Now you got to ask yourself, is this a replica or something that is happening in heaven as well? Because remember when Moses had to build a tabernacle and um, ordain the priests um, while they were in the wilderness, God said to him, make sure you build everything according to what I showed you on the mountain. So he was building a replica of what he saw in the heavenlies, right? So you got to think, is the pomegranate a representative of something so spiritual and, and um, ordained by God, right? And now think about the pomegranate. See how it's bright red and you can easily mistake its juice for blood. It's fascinating that it symbolizes the priesthood, right? It symbolizes the, the priesthood itself. If we, if we take that same um, ideology and we think about Jesus as our new high priest and the other Melchizedek, 
you begin to see a lot of the remarkable features in this fruit. Now, um, modern modern Judaism sees pomegranate as as the Torah, as the law, or as a symbol of righteousness, wisdom, and, and knowledge, because there are six hundred and thirteen mitzvot covenants in the Torah, and the pomegranate has six hundred thirteen seeds. Now, granted, I'm not sure if anyone took painstaking efforts to count them, but hey, there you go. There you have it. The sages say there is 613 seeds in the pomegranate and there are 613 commandments in the Torah. So they kind of represent each other, right? But what's fascinating to me about this fruit is that it has that many seeds on the inside, If you think about the parable that Jesus gave of the sower who went to sow his seeds, you know, some fell on the roadside, some fell on rocky ground. If you think about that parable, you can think about the pomegranate as the guy who has lots of seeds to sow, right? His unique nature is the volume of seeds he carries within himself. Isn't that remarkable? And isn't that fitting for the role of a priest? The ability to disseminate God's word, which are seeds, literally. It's no wonder he says that, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's from 1 Peter 2 verse 9, right? I mean, like the ability to carry the word, which is the seeds within yourself, the depth of God's word in a large volume. Think about Christ as being the word of God. He's just bringing out the beauty of this pomegranate fruit, right? Now, one thing I want us to look at is a really curious story um, in the Old Testament, where it says um, Saul and his entourage sitting under, uh, were sitting under the pomegranate tree. This story is in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 2 to 3. And it says that Saul was staying on the outskirt, uh, outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was um, Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now, in this story, we see King Saul, the priest and the king's men, all sitting under the pomegranate, all sitting under the pomegranate tree, seemingly waiting on the instructions from God, right? But then Jonathan, um, Saul's son, left him, i.e. he left him sitting under the pomegranate tree, and he acted in faith. I mean, you got to ask yourself, did he receive a different set of instructions or, you know, uh, did he suddenly receive a different kind of spirit while they were all waiting underneath the pomegranate tree? I mean, that's something to ponder on, right? Okay, let's move on to fruit number three, which is the fig. I feel like little brother Fig has had a bad rap all his life. I mean, right from the Garden of Eden days when Papa Adam and Mama Eve, 
you know, decided to sew fig leaves together to cover their nakedness in Genesis chapter three, verse seven, right down to the days of Jesus, where he actually curses the fig tree in Mark chapter 11 from verse two to 14. Right. You can, you can read it another time, but you remember how, you know, when Adam and Eve, they just, they realized that they were naked, they kind of decided that they were going to hide. And then they decided to sew fig leaves together to cover their nakedness, you know, but let's talk about this fruit for a little while. Now, does Jesus curse the tree because it's a bad tree? No, if anything, this tree is actually a prime example of what it means to be ready and available. To see the reasons for this tree's predicaments, you need to understand how the fig tree functions. And and I I know that I said like little brother fig because he was the last mentioned in this verse, but I feel like he should really be the big brother because he was deaf right from the beginning, like right from the Garden of Eden. He he was there, right? So he should kind of like really be the oldest brother. Okay, so let's take a look at the the how the fig tree functions, and then they'll kind of get an idea of, okay, why did Jesus curse this tree, right? One thing to note about the fig tree is it's a very prolific tree, i.e. it bears a lot of fruits, and would it would usually flaunt its leaves first, and it will flaunt them early to show that it's coming into season. So if you think about this tree, think about like the peacock that kind of shows off all its feathers. This this guy shows off like he is ready. This um, the fig this the fig fruit actually symbolizes abundance in Hebraic thoughts, right? You kind of see it in the Old Testament in First Kings chapter four verse twenty five, where it says that um, during the days of Solomon's uh, lifetime. Judah and Israel from Dan to Bathsheba lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Even the songs of Solomon likens or equates the time of love to when the fig tree puts out its early figs. Another good parable to bring up is Jesus, you know, tells his disciples to learn a lesson from the fig tree. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know what the kingdom of God, you know that the kingdom of God is near. This is in Luke 21, verse 29 to 31. Now, given the uh, tree's prolific nature, Jesus is actually upset that it, it didn't do his job early enough, right? He felt like, I'm important, you know? Even if you're not in season, be ready to give me fruit. What, how does that translate to, to us as well? It means that God is looking for us to bear fruit in and out of season. Now, let's look at where Jesus also tells the parable of the unfruitful fig tree. In Luke chapter 13, um, from verse 6 through verse 9. Um, I'm going to read it real quick. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look for three years. Now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. 
then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now, one good thing to remind ourselves of about this parable, this, um, you know, landowner who, who, um, who had an unfruitful fig tree. One thing we need to uh, remind ourselves about is according to the Levitical law, when you plant a tree in the land, you're not to eat its fruit for three years. The fourth year is offered up to God and the fifth year is when the planter gets to eat the fruit. You can read this in Leviticus chapter 19 from verse 23 to 25. And we're just going to go ahead and read this. Um, It says, when you enter the land and you plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years, you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy and offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. Now you see the man in this parable expects the fig tree to produce even when he won't be eating its fruit. Another notable reference to the fig tree is um, when we see Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel after Philip calls him to come see the Messiah. Notice how Nathaniel kind of responds to Jesus after Jesus tells him, I saw you under the fig tree. This is in John chapter 1 from verse 47 through 57. So let's go ahead and read that as well. Um, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, instead of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. You see how it's like being on the fig, under the fig tree is some sort of hidden code between the both of them. Nathaniel suddenly believes that this is the true Messiah because he had known he was under the fig tree. Now, no other fruit in the Holy Land has more symbolism than the fig. This fruit is truly the teacher of all teachers or the teacher of all the fruits, basically. Right. And one thing I want to mention is that there is this um, symbolism that is common within Hebrew thought as well, that sitting on a tree kind of represents sitting under um, tutorship, like being taught or sitting in the place of abundance you know, um, so you got to think, you know, what's really hidden in this conversation? Like, what does it really mean to sit under the fig tree? Well, so at the beginning of this, of this, um, uh, podcast, we kind of mentioned, um, John the Baptist, uh, statement where he says, therefore produce fruits consistent with repentance. But what does the idea of producing fruit really mean to you? What does it mean to sit under the fruit tree? Better yet, which of these fruits do you yourself see yourself bearing? Now, as for me, I'm going to say bear fruits consistent with keeping with Christ. 
let's learn to rest in his completed work. I can't emphasize this enough. I tell friends that learn to rest in the completed work of Christ. And sometimes it seems very theoretical. It seems very ethereal. It seems very out there. You don't really understand what it means to rest in the completed work of Christ. It means that just rest in the fact that he nailed your sins to that cross. And he didn't just stay dead on that cross, but he was resurrected. What does that mean? When his blood was poured out, your blood was poured out with his. So which means you're like the grape. You are part of the kingdom, right? Just think, think through this idea. Think through these things, right? Just as his word says in John chapter 15, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The promised land and the fruits of the land, uh, they were literal for the sons of Israel over 3,000 years ago. However, today, those promises, they still stand in our lives as we are spiritual sons and daughters of Israel. So let us learn to bear fruits consistent with keeping the Christ. Christ is our promised land, right? He's our firm foundation, the solid rock upon which we stand. And as Apostle Paul puts it, for all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And so through him, our amen is spoken to the glory of God. That's in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20. There's so much we can talk about in terms of the fruits of the land. There's so much we can talk about these three fruits. But I want you guys to kind of think about these ideas. Think about what it truly means to be a fruitful disciple of Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this topic today. I hope you will have some time to reflect on this subject and think about what it means to be fruitful. And uh, I hope you have a lovely time until we'll see you next time. Later out. Thank you.